Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Whitney Whiskey Cast. I am your host, Mark Rossetti, and I know what you're all thinking. At the end of last week, you and DJ promised you weren't going to talk anymore. <laughs> well, cheer up. I'm not really going to talk a whole hell of a lot this week. Uh, we just planned it very poorly that I do the intro this week. Uh, but I am here with DJ. I have not uh, tied him up and locked him in the basement for six more hours of Roman talk. DJ, say hello. Hi, everybody. I am here, I promise. <laughs> say, he's here. We don't know where he's coming from because his VPN is being funny. <laughs> so it could be Antarctica for all we know. Yeah, probably. See, we need to start, like, taping this on zoom or youtube like a couple other uh, podcasts do and then for you we could just have like a stock photo and just be like live via phone <laughs> like you're holed up in a bunker somewhere it was a work vpn i don't normally use a vpn for things <laughs> <laughs> that was weirdly defensive like vpns are all the rage and you're like i don't do that <laughs> Uh, I don't either. Just because just I'm lazy, that would be an extra fucking step. Yeah. There's a trope with some people in IT, like myself, who are, who are a little bit anti-tech because we know how far it can go. <laughs> so, like, my Alexa is constantly muted. I don't have any smart devices in my house. I don't really use VPNs outside of work. We have an Alexa, and... Pretty much the only thing we use it for is the wife yells at it whenever there's a yellow notification for a delivery. Mm-hmm. Nothing sets her off more than the yellow light on the Alexa. I agree. I use it to exclusively play music in the kitchen. And it's always muted, so I just connect to it via Bluetooth. I used it a lot for, like, the first month we had it. And I'm just like, meh. Yeah. Meh. The novelty wears off pretty quick. And then it's creepy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, aside from lying about where you were located for work purposes, uh, what did you do this week? <laughs> uh, well, this past week, we've just been doing a lot of crap around the house. Uh, we're, we're, I'm doing, like, the fastest home project ever. We're painting our second bedroom, and... Uh, I had some friends over to help out this weekend, and I think I'm going to have it completely fully painted and put back together uh, by the end of this weekend. So, like, two two weekends to finish painting one of the biggest rooms in our house. It's pretty good. I do always love DJ's home improvement stories <laughs> because the timelines are so skewed. The painting a room is taking you two weeks. It is. Mostly, I just needed to take a break from doing my office because I found yet more places to patch the drywall. And I was like, I hate everything about this and I want to be done. What, is, what was more frustrating, the library or the office so far? Um, well, you're thinking about it, so that tells me all I need to know right there. I think it's probably the office because now I'm experienced enough to really see my mistakes. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. So now it's just like I keep picking at it and I keep vacillating between, ah, fuck it, I want this to be done, and no, but that's really bad and I need to fix it. How about you, buddy? What you went up to see this week? Uh, it's been, you know, uh, a fun week. 
there is a skunk somewhere outside the 1821 studios. And uh, every day, about three or four times a day, pretty much at regular intervals, it just sprays constantly. At first, I thought it was actually trapped in my basement. But no, it's outside somewhere. It has a den. And something keeps scaring it. So uh, it stinks on, around my house for great periods of time. It stinks right now, actually. So that's <laughs> fun. Uh, so we had that. I've come to the conclusion that the IROC is possessed. Oh? Well, you know, when I got it, it had a few electrical gremlins. It had a few mechanical gremlins. And I've been fixing them little by little. And I haven't really been in any hurry because it's been the winter. And aside from when the wife's car went down with its own electrical issues, I haven't really had to drive it. <laughs> so I, a buddy of mine finally got the right scanner for it because, of course, it's old enough that it doesn't take the current plug-in scanner that you can just go to like AutoZone or whatever and get. And when we were there, he's like, yeah, all your problems are just this one little piece here. He goes, I would say, fuck it. I would just unplug it. Okay. So we unplug it. And no less than five electrical things that didn't work all of a sudden all started working. Jesus. Just from unplugging this one wire. So obviously it was hot and it was shorting everything else out. It's pretty but good. I just think the car is fucking uh, possessed. I haven't come up with a name for it yet. So the old man has suggested Linda after Linda Blair in uh, The Exorcist. Very good. So, <clears throat> we'll see. Uh, I don't quite know yet, but it is what it is. That's possessed. And yeah, actually Thursday night, I actually was able to attend. You don't even know this. I didn't tell you this. I was what? able to attend sort of a informative whiskey tasting slash whiskey school at a high-end country club. And where the fuck was my invite? Uh, well, it was kind of a spur-of-the-moment thing. It was Thursday night, and I found out Wednesday evening that I was going. <laughs> Jesus. So uh, it was one of those things. Uh, it was very fun. I learned quite a bit. We did a, a whiskey flight, and then we tasted a few cocktails, and then we tasted a few different things. I'm a sad to say, DJ, and you, you could feel properly betrayed for this, but I didn't keep my promise, buddy. Oh? It was there. It was offered to me. I had to take it. You tried Blue I, Label, didn't you? I did. <sighs> God damn it, Mark. It's so good. <laughs> God damn it, Mark. It's so good. Now, that being said, uh, I am praising this uh, event up and down. And when I do my review this week, I'll be praising it a little more because I'm reviewing one of the drinks that I had at said event. I liked it so much I went out and bought a bottle. Uh, come the end of next month, when the tab comes out, I will not be praising it. <laughs> uh, there were three of us that went in a group, so we all have one tab because, of course, you have to charge it to a, a member signature. And we're estimating that for the three of us, it was going to be between $500 and $550. Jesus. And that was our drink tab, by the way. So, so we'll Mark see. drank his way around <laughs> the world and betrayed my trust. You heard it here, listeners. Your OCD would have loved it, though, DJ. It was this huge, old-style, 
not even prohibition, even earlier than that, oak bar with the huge built-in shelves and the mirrors, and the whole one side was all American, and the whole other side was all European. That's amazing. And it was like, what do you want, old world or new world? <laughs> uh, the good news is I uh, did actually do some plugging of said podcast. We got a couple more follows. And the gentleman who was running the school uh, said that he would be interested in coming on and uh, being a guest if we can fit it in in his schedule. That would be amazing. So uh, more to come on that. Uh, I don't know if we'll be able to squeeze him in for season five. We'll try, uh, but I need to talk to Monsieur Kyle and beat him down uh, about the head and shoulders when he has a day off. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we can we can get him on, but he, he loves to talk about whiskey and he knows far more than I could ever hope to know. So <clears throat> that's, so that's that nice. What I, are you drinking? Even though I see this is a repeat, we're gonna have a lot of repeats today. This is a repeat. This is a repeat. Yeah. I don't think it is. It is. You did this when the old man was on. You did this for drag racing and whiskey because it was a transportation-based drink. Didn't I do a locomotive instead of a sidecar? I thought you did a sidecar. I could be wrong, but I thought you did. Either way, who cares? Do it again. It's your favorite cocktail. Uh, it's it's not my favorite, but it is very good. <laughs> um, so I went with this. Uh, a sta- a, I can't say a standard sidecar. It is a, a little bit better balanced than I've had in the past because I tried uh uh, i went i went um with uh, because the cocktail codex has a lot of different uh variants in the sidecar so i went with one that i i upped the orange liqueur up to cointreau uh i used uh calvados instead of you know your your standard brandy and i added just a little bit of simple syrup to it uh, but it's pretty damn good. I, I mean, it's a sidecar, right? You can't really go wrong with a sidecar unless you really hate brandy. Um, what are your thoughts? True. I, I know you don't like sidecars. Or do you not like, just don't like brandy? No, I like brandy. I like sidecars. I don't like cognac. I don't know where you got the idea I don't like brandy. <laughs> I don't like cognac. All right. So, yeah, you probably wouldn't like this cocktail then. Um, but it's pretty good. <laughs> I've had sidecars before. They're, I mean, they're certainly not my favorite, but they're not the worst thing I've ever drank. Yeah, you heard it here first, folks. He hates sidecars and uh, <laughs> drank a blue label without me. So not that I'm bitter or anything. Buddy, it was so smooth. <laughs> so smooth. Such a fucking troll. What are you drinking? <laughs> well, um... <clears throat> After, uh, was this, did I have this before or after the blue? And I'm not even trolling you now. I honestly don't remember because uh-huh. I, I had quite, quite a few. Uh, the nice thing was they were providing water after every drink. Um, but this was either immediately before or immediately after the blue label. Uh, and it was also after we had the cocktails with, uh, Kyle, the gentleman that I want to have on. He made, was making cocktails with his own homemade smoked strawberry simple syrup that sounds amazing it was heavenly uh but then i said i see a green bottle over there that says rye whiskey on it and he said yes you do this is george dickel's rye whiskey and i said cool i've never had that before whip it up and send it at my head (laughs) which is apparently not appropriate to say in a very fancy club but nevertheless 
Uh, and then I got a lecture on something that I never thought I would get a lecture on. This is apparently one of the many things that is made by uh, what is called MGP, Midwestern oh, Grain I, Products. I do know about this. And apparently that means we need to hate it instantaneously. Mm-hmm. Because basically, apparently MGD, MGP is basically Hitler and Stalin and Mao and anything evil put together. They all had a baby and this is just MGP. Yeah. I had never heard of any of this before. And so I got a lecture on how basically they make all this different shit and they sell it to companies like Bullet and Templeton and they put it in their own bottles and they say they brewed it, but they didn't. Yeah. And that made me a little disappointed because Templeton, if you remember from my Templeton review, I was not really a fan of. However, apparently Dickel is a little bit different because Dickel actually has its own distillery. It's not just a label. So while MGP actually makes the rye, they give it to Dickel and Dickel plays with it a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. They put it in their own at casks, they age it for a little while, and then they charcoal, cold charcoal filter it. Easy for me to say. <laughs> um, they also apparently are the only MGP product that actually lists on the label that it's made by MGP. Oh, that's good at least. Uh, that was also what I was told on Thursday, which again, this was all new to me. <laughs> uh but here's the regular stuff. It's uh, 90 proof, so you got 45% alcohol by volume. No age statement. Uh, it's between $25 and $30 a bottle, depending on where you get it. So I guess you could argue we're tasting the well a little bit. Um, the mash bill is 95% rye and 5% malted barley. It's an over-rye, not an underage rye. It's a fucking overbuild rye. It has more of a caramelly color to it a little bit more it's brighter it's not quite gold and the nose and the middle are very much the same you get a ton of rye you get a ton of spice and you actually get a little bit of dill Mm. which is a lot better than it sounds yeah you gotta trust me on this it doesn't sound great mark it's not a lot it's not like you're drinking pickle juice you just get a little hint and you're like oh i know what that is because uh, that's how, actually how it was explained to me on Thursday. You taste that? Yeah, it tastes really familiar. Do you know what it is? No, it's dill. Uh, <clears throat> then you get some citrusy, you get some zest, little bits of uh, fruit taste to it, and then it blends into a caramelly vanilla sweetness. And then you get a nice, solid, long burn at the end. And it just hangs. Damn. And I like it. I mean, I like Rise to begin with. Uh, this is only 90 proof, so you could drink it a lot. It tastes stronger than that. Like you're drinking, like you're sitting here sipping this going, whew, I got to slow down. And then you have like three glasses and you're like, no, I could drink this all day. It's only 90 proof. <laughs> uh, it's also cheap enough. You could put it into the daily rotation, uh, but it's just, it's balanced. It's not harsh, but it's not smooth either. And weirdly, that's kind of refreshing. I mean, you know, that's always the big thing, you know, whether you go to these tastings, whether you go to the store, whether you read online reviews, shit, even the old man the other day when we were talking, ah, you gotta have something smooth, you gotta have something smooth. Yeah, but after a while, I want something to punch me in the face. <laughs> and this doesn't necessarily punch you in the face, but it grabs you by the nose like your little brother and goes, hey, 
Hey, asshole, I'm right here. <laughs> and I like that. And it's, you know, it's an over rye, but it's 95 fucking percent rye, which I am, I stan rye. Do the kids still say stan? Is that still a thing? Uh, uh, not kids your age, Mark. Oh, damn. Well, I stan rye, so uh, I'm all about this. Uh, check it out. George Dickel Rye Whiskey. Don't let the whole MGP thing fool you. I almost didn't even bring it up because until Thursday, I didn't even know that was a thing. Uh, <laughs> but don't let that fool you. This is actually really, really good. I'm surprised you as a historian didn't know about M- MGP. Well, I don't care about like brands and who owns what and who makes what. I mean, like, you know, if we worry about that shit, like. <sighs> yeah, it's it's less about a branding thing. It's more of like I. I'll just sidestep the whole is MGP crap debate and just say that um, for a really long time in our history, rye was not popular and had no. a huge decline. And we didn't see it really get it, get a rise in popularity until the mid 2000s. Correct. So in the new cocktail revolution, there was suddenly a big demand for rye, right? Like the rebirth of the Sazerac. And unfortunately, there was no rye to be had. No, there was not. And in all of these distilleries like Templeton and Bullet wanted to start producing rye, but it takes years to start producing a stock of rye every year. And MGP had rye. So a lot of these distilleries, you know, they they started rye, but it was going to be seven to ten years before they had a, a rye of their own. So they used MGP. The cool thing that they did is they took the, the distillate and they, a lot of them would age it themselves. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of them would, so there's a reason why like Templeton and bullet taste different. It's because of the different aging processes, the different wood, you know, you can compare bullet rye and old Templeton and, and see, you, you can not see, but you can taste the difference. And, yeah, um, bullet is good. Old Templeton blows. Templeton's fine. Um, <laughs> we've had this conversation, but yeah, uh, I mean, MGP is just huge, right? They do a ton of distilling. At the end of the day, like, I'm probably gonna get angry tweets at this, but doesn't does it really fucking matter if it tastes good? You know, that's kind of where I fall on it. Uh, I I think there's probably a debate to be had of like, oh, I don't want people lying to me about what's in my bottle. If you say you distill it, then you better just... I... Fine, but at the end of the day, if you like Templeton or you like Bullet, just who gives a shit? And honestly, if you want to get mad about something like that, there is a much more legitimate thing about that to get mad about. Uh, the the bobsleds for the Olympics, one of the, the few decent Olympic sports is the bobsled, whether it be the, the women, the men, the two-man, the four-man, whatever. Uh, the American bobsleds are being built by BMW this year. So that that's a much more bigger thing to get mad about. Get mad about that. Don't get mad about what fucking labels on your... Whiskey. Why are we mad about that? Is B- Wait, what's... Why BMW? are the Germans building the American sleds? <laughs> oh, BMW is not American. Got it. Bavarian motor work. Never mind. It's cute that you think I know what BMW stands for forgot who i was talking to yeah. all right what well you know you were talking about there there uh there was no ride to be had i'm gonna jump in and i'm gonna go into whiskey news because you gave me a great segue <laughs> we might be seeing another if this article is to be uh believed we might be seeing another revolution in seven years time 
and there might not be any scotch to be had. Okay. Now, this is an article from, well, it's quoted by the Irish Times, and it's the Irish Whiskey Association, but the statistics are from, I had it here, and I can't find it now. Oh, the Distilled Spirits Council. And according to the Distilled Spirits Council, Irish whiskey sales will overtake scotch in the United States by 2030 at the latest. Nice. See, I don't like Irish whiskey. Roughly 5.9... It's not that good. It's roughly Eat me. <laughs> roughly 5.9 million casks of Irish whiskey were sold in the U.S. last year which is up almost a million from 2020. They sold 900,000 more casks within one year. Uh, it was the third fastest growing category in the U.S. last year. So that's number three. Do you want to take a guess what number two was? Mm. Is, it, is it American? American whiskey? No. I don't know. Tequila. Oh, okay. I, I was still thinking whiskey, but okay. No, no. Third, third fastest growing category, period. Uh, th so number three was Irish whiskey. Number two was tequila. Do you want to take a guess what number one was? It makes me sad to be an American. Um, is it vodka? No, I wish. The fastest growing category from 2020 to 2021 in the United States of America... Pre-made cocktails. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, that being said, furthermore, Irish whiskey experienced greater growth during calendar year 2021, listen to this, than scotch had generated over the past decade. Yeah, because a bunch of people watched Parks and Rec and got obsessed with scotch and then realized it doesn't taste good. <laughs> I thought you were going to say a bunch of people watch Peaky Blinders and started buying Irish whiskey. Uh, responding to the news, the Irish Whiskey Association director, William Lavelle, has tipped Irish whiskey to overtake uh, scotch in the U.S. by 2030, which has not happened since prior to Prohibition. <laughs> the resilience of the Irish whiskey category through the initial stages of the pandemic paved the way for a very strong rebound in 2021. We saw remarkable breakthroughs, not just in America, but in emerging markets such as India and Nigeria. I would try these, some Indian or Nigerian whiskey. Well, this is Irish whiskey sales oh, well, in India and Nigeria. Fun. No, because Irish whiskey isn't fun. These latest figures demonstrate the continuing robust growth we are seeing in established markets. Damn it, so to end with this, uh, Irish whiskey sales have grown in the U.S. every year since 2002, uh, and the sale of higher-end Irish whiskeys has risen exponentially since 2002, with premium and super premium brands growing by 1,100% and 9,100% respectively. Yeah, because Irish whiskey is good and bog water tastes like bog water. See, if we take Japanese whiskey out of the equation, because that's still kind of a niche market, not knocking it, just saying it's kind of a niche market, at least in America. If we take Japanese whiskey out of the equation, by far the whiskey I drink the least of is Irish. Yeah, it's because you have terrible taste buds. 
Yes, yes. It's because I drink enough rye for me, for you, for that guy over there, for the cat. For... <laughs> um, but all right, what do we have for tools of the trade? You know, I contemplated saving this one for June, but I just wanted to do it because I think it's delightful. Uh, and I wanted to talk uh, a little bit. Oh, more... Jesus Christ. I just read what it is. <laughs> Uh, and I want to talk about something that I am infinitely intrigued by and will probably get myself some before we come back for season five. And that is uh, food grade glitter in cocktails. Okay, time out. Stop. I want you folks right now to just pause a minute and note that within one segue, DJ accused me of having terrible taste buds <laughs> and then enthusiastically endorsed glitter. In his cocktail. Yeah, because you can't taste the glitter, Mark. <laughs> that's what I'm going to talk about today. Put that on a t-shirt and we could probably fucking sell it. That's the sad part. But go ahead, continue. <laughs> All right, so um, there is a bunch of different companies that do this, but there's a rising trend in uh, making like three-dimensional, swirling, almost galactic-looking cocktails and uh, there's a bunch of companies that sell food-grade cocktail glitter. Now, I'm looking at one in particular. I just pulled one at random. This one's called Brew Glitter. Uh, they actually have, like, plans for how you can get it into your beer tap lines. Uh, there's all sorts of fun stuff here. Um, but essentially what it is, uh, and I actually looked this up because I was morbidly curious, um, so food glitters are generally made with food-grade mica-based pearlescence, which are like micro-minerals. And they're put through a process uh, that makes them food-grade, and uh, like it meets like every food regulation, at least in the U.S., that it could, right? Uh, it, it, it's passed by the FDA. Uh, it, it's... Um, it's... I guess it's classified as a food-grade and edible pearlized mica mineral. So uh, any kind of uh, co food-grade cocktail glitter that you're going to get is generally a mineral-based uh, additive. It's generally a powder that you're going to add to your cocktail, swirl it in, and you just kind of get the shiny bits. Now, uh, before I knew that this existed, the only real example I had was Goldschlager, and I ain't fucking with Goldschlager. Not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, you know me, I, you know, Mark's the basic bitch and just likes drinking rye. And I tend to be the one that really likes, uh, making it, it crazy colorful cocktails. Uh, so this is kind of like, I'll actually drink Goldschlager. I'll have, you know, you, you do. Yeah. Still. Yeah. Well, I mean, not like on the regular, but there's a bottle of it upstairs. Sure. Why? Gimmick, mostly. Um, uh, there was, like, uh, an, an apocryphal story going on TikTok for a while that if you drained the gold out of uh, Goldschlager, you could get enough to buy another bottle of Goldschlager. That's not actually true. Most uh, most cash for gold places won't take gold flakes. That's just a mini tools of the trade for you. Uh, but, yeah, it's generally rice, protein, <laughs> minerals, dextrose, Various uh, FD&C uh, color additives. Uh, everything's been pretty well tested. Uh, there's a lot of really interesting like technical data sheets, but they're all 
Um, very careful about allergens, you know, no nuts, no, uh, it, it's all non-GMO. There, there's no, uh, there's nothing crazy, uh, a gluten, that's the word I was looking for. There, there's no gluten um, that you have to worry about. Uh, so yeah, it's just something that you can, you know, add to your Cosmo and swirl it around and it, you get some shiny glitter stuff in there and it looks kind of cool. Uh, it doesn't, it, most of them, if you get a decent quality one, they're not going to add a taste to your liquor and it's just going to be kind of the cool, fun, colorful thing that they were, that they were starting to do more of this in cocktail bars right before the pandemic. So I'm hoping that, you know, we still get to see, uh, some cool stuff when we get back from pandemic stuff and are able to get into restaurants a little bit more. Uh, but they come in sprays. They come in little jars where you can, uh, like, spoon them into your cocktail shaker. There's all sorts of good crazy stuff. Mark, have I lost you? No, I'm, I'm just waiting to, to drop in the one bit of knowledge on glitter that I know you're not going to talk about. Yeah. But I'll wait till you're finished. Oh, no, go ahead. Well, what DJ won't tell you, because it's his favorite subject on the face of the earth, is the human body cannot digest edible glitter. <laughs> so because of this, you're going to have some really fun bowel movements. Well, cool. So let's get right into our topic then. <laughs> I knew you wouldn't bring it up. <laughs> Mark, what are we talking about today? Well, you know, let's be honest. The last three episodes are pretty heavy. Much like our Prohibition series, we need sort of a fun, relaxed, uh, loosey-goosey palate cleanser at the end. We need to just shake all the seriousness away and, you know, end sort of on a little bit of a silly note. Because this is sadly the last episode of the season. So I believe when we were discussing this last, I believe I pitched the the very original topic of shit DJ likes and whiskey, <laughs> which DJ took very literally by talking about glittery shit. So, uh, but we've come up with recommendations in whiskey and I made the mistake and this one's on me, folks. So send your hate tweets to me this week. I made the mistake of saying, you know, yeah, nobody really wants to listen to me talk for three more weeks you know, after three more weeks and, and nobody, you know, I don't really want to talk much more after those three long episodes. You just go crazy. Well, he did. <laughs> I'm staring at three dozen plus recommendations here from Mr. DJ, and I'm going to be educated just as much as you are folks, because I told DJ this before he went on the air of these nearly 40 that we have, I've only heard of four of them. Yeah. And only one of w one of which doesn't really even count because I only know it through DJ. It's true. <laughs> I have not been exposed to it in the wild. So uh, this is going to be interesting. There are a few repeats here, but that's okay. There are, yeah. So we're bringing back some stuff from older episodes. You know, if you're jumping in uh, at the newer spot here, we'll, we'll talk about some board games we've referenced in the past, probably some books I've referenced in the past. Uh, but these are just my general recommendations to tide you over for the next four years. So this is going to be a little bit of a clip show. Uh, and then when DJ uh, presumably runs out of oxygen, I'm going to jump in and troll his ass a little bit and give some of my recommendations. 
And then it's going to be presumably about 12.30 at night as we record this. <laughs> and it'll be time to end the season. So buckle up. I recommend topping off your drink if you have one. Yeah. And here we go. The floor is yours, buddy. Excellent. All right. So we're going to do this kind of lightning round style. So I'm going to give uh, two to three sentences for each of these so that you know what it's about. Uh, and uh, know whether or not it might pique your interest. So I divided my recommendations today into categories, uh, three broad care categories. One is indie video games, two is board games, and three are book series. I'm not going to recommend specific books, but I'm going to actually recommend whole series for you. So let's start with indie games. Now, the reason why, and we almost did call this indie games and whiskey, uh, is that uh, Mark... But I don't play any, so that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mark, uh, for some bizarre, miraculous reason, has ended up with a Nintendo Switch and uh, hasn't quite figured out what the fuck to do with it yet. Uh, so No, I... no, that's not true at all. I play Animal Crossing on it. Yeah, yeah, he plays one game, folks. It's nothing. So... Uh, <laughs> I, for one, have had a Switch since, since pretty early on, and it's become my indie gaming machine. So uh, not only ha do I have a list of probably 20 to 30 some odd uh, indie games here to recommend, I have divided them up into categories because that's how many there are. All right. It's true. So let's bang this out. Uh, action adventure games. This is a really big category, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get, get it out of the way up front. Uh, these all came out at various times. A lot of these games I'm going to recommend have come out on other platforms. I have probably bought this first one three times at this point uh, because it is one of my all-time favorite games. So from uh, Supergiant Games, their first, uh, their first game that they ever put out, Bastion. And you ever heard of this, Mark? You ever played Bastion? Nope. <laughs> Bastion is an isometric action-adventure RPG. Uh, that basically it's the end of the world and you play a silent protagonist. You have a bunch of different weapons that you can level up over the course of the game. And so it's Fallout. You're playing Fallout, the original Fallout. No, not really, um, because there's no vats. Uh, so you are basically trying to like save some people and figure out what the hell happened to the world. And uh, it, the really interesting thing about the game a, it's got a fantastic soundtrack, and B, it's got a gravelly-voiced, very kind of country-western uh, narrator that narrates the story as you're going. And so it's got a really interesting story mechanic. Bastion. Number two is Garden Story. Uh, came out in the last year, I think. Uh, Garden Story is a story where you play, I believe you play a grape an anthropomorphic fruit of some sort. And it's just a, it's like a Zelda type game where you run through and solve puzzles and help all the townsfolk. It feels very Link's Awakening. Um, if, if you've ever played that or, or perhaps Link to the Past, lots of cool little items you can play with. And it's all very cutesy with kind of a, a dark storyline. So, um, it's surprising in that respect when it's very colorful and all about fruit, but there you go. Next up is Graveyard Keeper. M Mark, you've heard of Stardew Valley, right? That I've heard of. All right. 
so Graveyard Keeper is Stardew Valley for those of us who grew up listening to emo music. Uh, you, <laughs> you basically die, and instead of going straight to hell, you end up in charge of a graveyard in the afterlife. And uh, it, it's, it's very strange, um, but there's like a graveyard to tend, and you do autopsies every morning, and as you progress through the game, you get to get more out of the corpses to spend as resources. Uh, it, it's, it, it's a very weird game, but it's also a lot of fun and has a lot of depth to it. Uh, highly recommend it. Uh, next one is Hob. Uh, Mark, remember PAX East back when we could do cool things? I do. Yes, that was a good time. Uh, PAX East uh, is where I found Hob originally, and uh, it's a very good game. I highly recommend it. Uh, you play a small protagonist who has a like biomechanical stone arm grafted to him, and then you go out and figure out why the world is dead. Uh, it, it's another like kind of quiet. Everything is told through uh, like symbols and and visual stuff. Um, and your arm powers up over time. You get new powers. You can unlock more of the world. There's boss battles. It's pretty cool. It's another isometric one, uh, kind of like top-down Zelda. Next up is Hyper Light Drifter, uh, which got launched on Kickstarter. They have a, another game that just came out. Um, the the developer's Heart Machine. Uh, so if you're looking for a game that's same aesthetics but plays completely differently, uh, you can check out Solar Ash on modern home consoles right now. Uh, but Hyper Light Drifter is, again, another post-apocalyptic one, but it's uh, it's a little bit more like an isometric Mega Man Zero, if anyone's ever played those. Um, it, it's There's uh, some bullet hell uh, mechanics to it, so, some interesting stuff there. Um, your protagonist is kind of dying as you play the game, so there's like a rush to, to get to the end. It, it's a great game. Definitely check it out. It's got like kind of cyberpunky graphics. It's cool stuff there. Uh, next one is completely different, and it's Little Town Hero. Um, Mark, I, I believe you've played a couple of card-based games in your, in your day, right? I am a big sucker for a card-based uh, video game, yes. Uh, Little Town Hero is basically a, a card-based game with a story. Um, it's... The only non-Pokemon game ever put out by Game Freak, I'm pretty sure. And uh, it's it's a lot of fun. You play a uh, a little villager who uh, is super into mining, and and then like monsters start attacking town, and there's a mysterious castle that you're not allowed into, and villagers and 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 like farm animals transform into these monsters and nobody knows why and you're trying to solve the mystery and over time you pick up more cards and you expand your skill set and it, there there's a punk with green hair who always wants to fight you you know pretty pretty standard pokemon stuff um but uh, instead of little monsters it's you with your little pickaxe whipping ass so uh recommend that one uh next one is older it's called mark of the ninja uh, it is a side-scrolling scroll, side stealth game. Uh, imagine if Splinter Cell were side-scrolling and you were a ninja. That's basically Mark of the Ninja. It's a lot of fun. 
Uh, there's some really cool stealth elements to it that I haven't seen replicated in, in other side-scrolling games, so definitely worth it. Uh, next up is Owl Boy. It is a side-scrolling uh, kind of platformer e-game where you play a little protag with wings who can fly around and you uh, get friends that you can pick up in your in, in your talons and fly them around and uh, it, it, it's it's fun it's cute uh, a lot of these are post-apocalyptic in weird ways I don't know why indie games are obsessed with the, the apocalypse uh, time spinner is all about a time traveling heroine who uses energy orbs to fight monsters and solve crimes and and do cool things. Definitely recommend that one. Uh, I think that was another Kickstarter game. Um, check it out. Uh, Transistor is also made by Supergiant, just like Bastion. It's their second game. And it's a it's an action-adventure game with turn-based strategy mechanics. Like, when you get into a fight, you can pause the fight and choose your actions before anybody moves so it's got a really interesting battle mechanic and another fantastic soundtrack uh mark's probably favorite one on, on this list turn it boy commits tax evasion yeah i i'm not familiar with it but i'm kind of all about it actually go on it's really funny there's like it's another one where you are playing a uh, instead of fruit like garden store you're playing a vegetable you're playing a turnip and uh, the game starts with the mayor uh, basically kicking you out of your house for tax evasion. And uh, the mayor's like terrible. And the whole game is about tearing down his like dictatorial regime. But you're a turn. I may have to buy this. <laughs> yeah, it's basically libertarianism, the game. Like they're one of the core mechanics is finding tax notices from the mayor and ripping them up and you get trophies for doing so i'm powerfully aroused right now it's very good uh the last one is another uh another indie game i found at pax and it's very strange uh it's called unbox newbies adventure and unbox is you play an anthropomorphic moving box and you jump i'm noticing a pattern with a lot of your selections <laughs> oh you know this this you're either a fruit or you're a turnip or you're a moving box or yeah you don't I like, like a, a human protagonist do you uh i mean mark the ninja he's human <laughs> <laughs> it could be argued that you're a human graveyard keeper it could be argued okay <laughs> Fair. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Unbox is a 3D uh, indie game where it's it's basically an open world sandbox. You get in, you do the tutorial, and then you've got the entire world to explore and do a bunch of missions. And um, you jump by unboxing yourself. So every time you jump, you become a smaller and smaller box. And if you jump too many times, uh, you get a game over because you unboxed and and basically died. <laughs> I I don't know uh, how a box dies, but that's what happens. I mean, if Romulus gets a hold of it, it's not very long for this world. It's true. Uh, so that's action adventure. A any of those strike up your fancy there, Mark? I may have to look up Mister Turnip Boy. Uh, that that one, that one has me curious. Mm. Uh, 
I do love some good tax evasion because taxation is theft, as we all know. And, uh, you know, turnips aren't the worst things in the world. So, hey, I, I, I can be down for that. <laughs> Fair. And especially if I could, you know, load it up onto the Switch, take it somewhere. That might not be bad. I, I'm going to have to look into that. It, yeah. it is a pay week this week. So, you know, hey. It's a cute little game. Now, all of these are indie games, which means they're they're smaller size. Uh, I can't think of any of these that are like crazy 60, 70 hour triple A length games maybe graveyard keeper there's a lot of depth into that one uh but my next category is the infamous metroidvanias are are you a fan of this genre mark oh i mean yeah yes and no i they i i don't hate them but there's very few in the genre that like when i see a demo or a video i'm like oh i gotta run out and buy that yeah that's fair I did leave off a few indie games, uh, especially in this category, just because there's so many out there. Uh, but I picked a few that uh, I definitely wanted to recommend. So first up is Axiom, Axiom Verge and its sequel, Axiom Verge 2, uh, which is basically straight up like a Metroid game. Very Metroid-y. You know, you run through, you get power-ups, you fight bosses. Um it's all about an alien invasion and there there's, you know, infections and, and pretty cool stuff in it. Uh, but they're just done really, really well. So if you're, if you're feeling the hankering and you don't want to shell out the money for maybe Metroid Dread, check out Axiom Verge. Uh, the second one, uh, Mark, have you ever seen the movie, the thing? The original. Yeah. Like, are you a fan? Oh yeah. It's a great flick. You might actually really like Carrion. Okay. Uh, so Carrion is you are playing the monster in the thing. I do like villain centric games. Yeah. Uh, you basically break out of containment and your job is to escape the facility. That That is the whole game. As you get uh, through the game, you get more and more power ups. You get skill points to unlock more ways to eat people. Um, you get tentacles that you can shoot to knock out lights. You get yeah, you know, you squeeze into small vents. You can run into a room and cause chaos. But you know, some guys have guns and shields, and you have to figure out how to get around them. But yeah, you're basically playing a giant gaping blob with a tons of mouths. So uh, if you like that that kind of thing, it's it's an interesting twist in the horror genre because you are the horror, and you get to hear all of these tiny humans scream as you jump into the room and eat them. Um, definitely worth checking out. My personal favorite indie game in this whole genre is Hollow Knight, and there is a sequel coming. Um, uh, Mark, have you ever heard of Hollow Knight? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) We we are over, God, how much are we? 20, 25 in so far. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend Hollow Knight, uh, to everybody out there. It's probably one of the best indie games that's come out in the last 10 years. Uh, it's just super crisp. It's a Metroidvania. Uh, you, it's basically a, uh, you are fighting entropy. You are playing a little bug who fights with a needle and, uh, you know, you're trying to figure out why all the, the other bugs left and you find out some of them have died and some of them have turned into monsters and some of them have just left. And it's really interesting. It's the, uh, the graphics are really cute. It's a side scroller, you know, like most of the Metroidvanias, uh, definitely worth checking out. 
Uh, I feel like I'm going to lose you with this genre, Mark. Yeah, there's not a lot here. For me, anyway. Fair. Uh, So this next genre is roguelikes. Now, I used to say I didn't like roguelikes. And then I... (laughs) Because you're a liar. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, so roguelikes are, for those of you who don't know, they're generally procedurally generated. And the entire point of a roguelike is to die many, many, many times. And when you come back from death, you, you generally are able to like keep some power ups or you're able to keep some things unlocked later on. And you progress through the game by dying. It is the side scrolling version of game uh, side scrolling and procedurally generated version of games like uh dark souls so let's run through these first one is dead cells uh you are basically a reborn you're, you're kind of a revenant but it's also like biologically engineered in some way you have weapon power-ups and your whole thing is to escape uh this this prison uh, and you just die over and over and over and over again. With every death, you might bring back a power-up. You might be able to switch some things around, and then you head right back out. Uh, it's a really great game. It's really high quality. It's also really easy to to pick up, play an hour of, get frustrated, and then leave it until you know the next day. Um, next one here is Dicey Dungeons. Uh, for those of you who want to stra- scratch that D&D itch, uh, it is a roguelike where you yeah, there isn't really any exploring. There's just fight after fight after fight. Um, but the whole principle of it is you play different kinds of dice, and uh, depend it, each dice is based on a different D and D class. So there's a fighter, there's a rogue, there's uh, weirdly an artificer, which I <laughs> I love for myself. Um, and you just go through, you use special abilities, you gain moves, you level up, and then you die and start all over again. Uh, Enter the Gungeon is probably one of the longest... I think it's the oldest one on this list. Uh, Enter the Gungeon is a great game. Uh, I don't know how many people may have played it, uh, but the idea is that you died and ended up in a gungeon, and the way to, to get a wish fulfilled is to put together the pieces of a legendary gun and escape the gungeon. Uh, there is a, a sequel, I believe, to this game now called Escape the Gungeon, uh, but Enter the Gungeon's the original. It's, a, it's definitely bullet time, so if you're not a fan of bullet time, maybe steer away from this game, uh, but it's very good. Uh, next one is Hades, which I feel like you could get behind on this one after the last three weeks. You did mention this in one of the previous episodes. I did. Uh, Hades is a roguelike where you play the son of, well, Hades, and you are <laughs> attempting to escape Hades and figure Roll out, credits. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you're, you're basically in the deepest depths of Hades with your dad and Cerberus and as you try to escape, you get contacted by the various gods like Zeus and Athena and Aphrodite, and they try to help you out. You gain new weapons, and over time, you figure out who your mom might be and, and, and all sorts of awesome stuff. So definitely recommend Hades. It's a lot of fun. 
this this is another entry in my lift list by Supergiant. You can probably tell they're one of my favorite indie developers. Um, definitely recommend it. Moonlighter might be up your your alley, Mark. Moonlighter is uh, you. It, it's a twist on the roguelike genre. Uh, you play a shopkeep. Okay. The entire point of Moonlighter is uh, you inherit a, a like a, a shop, like a small town shop uh, from your dad, and you go into a dungeon not to like beat an evil lich or escape a prison or anything else that you might do in a roguelike, but you go into a dungeon to come back with goods that you can sell in your shop. That's interesting. Yeah. There's like an economy to it and figuring out what each item type is worth so that you can, you can, uh, you can sell it at the right price and understanding like, uh, supply and demand type things. Uh, you know, if, if you spend too much time in bringing stuff back from one dungeon, you flood the market and you can't sell it for as much anymore. There's just some really interesting mechanics in Moonlighter, so I definitely recommend that one to you, Mark. I'll have to check that one out. Mm -hmm. uh, last one on this list is Slay the Spire. I feel like hey, we finally have one that not only I've heard of, I have. Yeah. Although not for the Switch, I have it on the PlayStation Four. Uh, it, it's very good on either. You, you want to take a crack at explaining what uh, Slay the Spire is? So, uh, basically it's your traditional roguelike game where you're, you know, trying to ascend a dungeon or in this case, a spire. Uh, and when you die, you, you know, return to the beginning and start over. The gimmick is it is a deck building game, a CCG, mm -hmm. and you win battles by playing this, uh, bespoke card game and every, and you collect cards and you build your deck and you maintain your deck and when you die, you have to start all over again and build your deck again. Yeah. And what I like about it is it's very fast paced. There's what, four spires, I think. Yeah. And four levels. four levels in the spire. Yeah, four levels in the spire. You can blitz through one within 15, 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and that's like beating it. That's not dying. So you could play multiple rounds in an hour, an hour and a half. And it really has that sort of, you know, ah, just fucking one more hand, you <laughs> know, and then it's 75 hours later and you're like, shit. Uh, so DJ actually got me onto this and uh, I think we were recording one night and you were like, you got to try this game. And he was not wrong. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, as much as I've been sort of taking the piss out of everything he's done so far, this one's pretty good, folks. Yeah, I do actually recommend good games, I promise. I, I don't know if I'd go that far, but you know, hey, you know, every now and then, blind squirrel and a nut. You know, the games you've tried <laughs> that I've recommended have been good. Well, I'm trying to think. I'm not saying there hasn't been another one, but I'm trying to think of what the other ones would be. I just, I mean, come on, Turnip Boy commits tax evasion. Well, I haven't played that yet. I'm not saying it's not good. I haven't played it yet. 
That's fair. All right, we'll, we'll do these last two real quick. This is in the strategy genre. And the first one is Into the Breach. It's a uh, grid-based strategy game that uh, there's, like, an objective on the map to to clear. And it's very reminiscent of an old game that I, for the life of me, I cannot remember what it, what it was called. But, you know, I... <laughs> I, I wish I could. Like the the whole point of the game is you are a mech pilot, and you team up with some other mech pilots, and you get dropped down onto you know ground, and there's a bunch of aliens that you have to fight, and a bunch of cities you have to protect, and the aliens you know which way the aliens will will attack. Uh, so when it's your turn, you have to either defeat them or position yourself in a way where uh, you can mitigate damage to cities. It's really easy to die. And when you die, you get the option of instead of dying, you teleport one of your pilots out using like a time jump and you jump back to the beginning. So you can take a commander from run to run and build them up over time. Uh, So it's kind of roguelike-y and kind of strategy-like. Uh, the last one I have here is Wargroove. Now, Mark, Mark, I know you liked Advance Wars, right? I loved Advance Wars. I'm very sad that it's, uh, the remake has apparently been delayed again. It has, but it's coming. But if you want to scratch that itch, Wargroove is the perfect cross between a Fire Emblem and an Advance Wars. So it's very much the battle that system. That doesn't sound appealing. It's, it's very much the battle system of Advance Wars, where you've got multiple moon uh, units on a square, and you, you, you know, you've got to take over territory and stuff. Um, but it's like fantasy classes. You know, you've got... Uh, there, there's an entire uh, clan in the game that is like warhounds and very Roman-like. Uh, so it's very good. Um, it, it, it definitely scratched that itch for me. Um, there is another, I think it's like Tiny Wars or Tiny Tanks that's, uh, basically a, a, an up, uh, like an up reskin of, of Advanced Wars I can send you, uh, that, that you might enjoy. See, I'm looking at Wargroove now on the Switch store, and I'm very surprised that you would like this just because I know how important graphics are to you. You know, I really do like graphics, but there is a a happy medium of 16-bit graphics that I do really enjoy. I can't go back to, to NES, and I can't go back to N64 for my own reasons, but things that are like 16 or 32-bit, I do actually really like. Well, this is like MS Dolls bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is pretty rough. And I'm not a graphical guy. I like retro games, but this is pretty rough. I think you would like it, but I, th- there's probably another one I could recommend. I'm going to look up Tiny Tanks. Keep going. All right. Uh, so this next cord- category is board games, and I've definitely recommended most of these, I'm pretty sure, but I'm just going to recommend them again. Um, hey, Mark. Would you yes. like to play a game? <laughs> oh, yes, we play Red Scats. Glorious. We bring glorious uh, communism to all. <laughs> Seriously, just 
fucking play Red Scare, people. Yeah. yeah, it's out of print. You can find it. It's not fucking that crazy. Just, just play Red Scare. Uh, I may actually drop a link to where you can get Red Scare Redux uh, because it's definitely, um, it's not out of print. You can still get it. Oh, I thought it was out of print. Good. Well, then if it's not out of print, then there's no fucking excuse. Buy it. Yeah, I always forget where to get it from, but uh, th- there is the the main developers of the game still have a website. I think it's Fidget Creative, and you can still buy it. I think it's like twenty five bucks. That was another game that I got at PAX. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I do miss PAX. I would like to go back to PAX at some point. Yeah, so you yeah, can that was always it. a fun weekend. Uh, FidgetCreative.myshopify.com. Uh, there's a hyphen between fidget and creative and you can just order it 25 bucks. You can have your own. I definitely keep a few copies around to, to just give to people who haven't had it, uh, had a chance to play it before. Uh, but it's very good. You play, it's, you play one side of the cold war basically. Um, and, uh, you try to do like spy missions and people can counteract you and the other team. And there's some cool shit. Um, Doing funny accents is highly recommended, especially if you're a few cocktails in. Yeah. I mean, it basically it's, if you like spy movies, if you like spy genre, if you like spy novels, it's very tropey, but in a good way, it kind of, you know, pokes fun at itself. It's very meta. Uh, It's basically like a cleaner, but sillier version of Archer. It's probably the best way I could describe it. Mm. Uh, but with like realistic, like based stuff, like some of the gadgets and shit, like are actually in the International Spy Museum in Maryland. Yeah. So you know, it's it's a realistic, it's a silly take on a realistic setting. Yeah, it, it's very fun. I highly recommend it. Uh, the next one, I think I talked about in our board game episode potentially, but it's called Splendor. You ever played Splendor? <laughs> no. Splendor is basically economics, the game, but it, it doesn't. Like, <laughs> Thank it you, sounds, Adam Smith. It sounds uh, way more boring. It, it's actually an extremely fun game, um, but it's uh, it's like Renaissance financing merchants game. And the the entire point of it is there's five different colors of or six different colors of gemstones and you have to buy like permanent gemstones to increase your wealth over time and you get to trade things back and forth and by the end of the game you get to see who's got the most victory points and who wins and it's just got a really smooth gameplay and i am absolutely determined to win this game at some point i have lost every game i've played except for one why do i hear iggy like sprinting towards your house i think iggy would really enjoy this game actually yeah so do i <laughs> it is resource management the game and if you ever want your resources managed or you want to get your teeth kicked in in a resource management game call iggy it's true there are some games that iggy pulls out and everybody at the table sighs and goes well we're not going to win this one <laughs> yeah which one of us is going to take second <laughs> yeah exactly Though, if you want someone to crush Pandemic, Iggy's your dude. This is also true. Uh, all right, my last one is Tavern Masters. You ever played Tavern Masters? I haven't, which sounds weird for me, because that sounds like my type of game. I, I feel like you'd really enjoy it. Um, you ever played Boss Monster? 
I have with okay. you, actually. It's basically boss monster, but you're running a tavern instead of a dungeon. Okay. The whole point is you stock your your bar with food, drink, and wenches, and you try to get people interested to coming to your bar and spending money. And every round you get more, you know, depending on who's coming to your bar, you get more money to spend on more things to outfit your bar with. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Definitely recommend Tavern Masters. Another game I almost never win, but it's still super fun to play. I can't argue any of that. All right. Last category is book series. You ready for this? All right. <laughs> You saved the, the biggest one for last. Go ahead. I did. All right. First book series, The Dresden Files by Jim Butcher. You ever heard of these? I This is the one that I've heard of, but only through you. Probably. Did you know this was a TV show? I believe you have mentioned that, yes. <laughs> um, so it's a, it was a really good TV show that was only around for a season. Uh, but the entire point of The Dresden Files is modern-day, hard-boiled detective in Chicago who's a wizard and advertises in the phone book. Uh, which is kind of a dated reference at this point, but this book series is still being written all these years later. So, um, uh, The Dresden Files has gotten really big. There's a tabletop RPG, there's a billion graphic novels, there's a card game, uh, and there's an 18 book series that is still ongoing, plus a ton of you know side stories and short stories and novellas. So uh, definitely recommend it. Uh, they get to meet the you know Dr- Harry Dresden's the main character. He comes in contact with deities and demons and uh, angels and all sorts of good stuff. And just when you think the book series might be getting into a rut, uh, Jim Butcher completely changes it on you. Uh, so if you feel like getting your heart ripped out and want to read some really good uh, urban fantasy, check out Dresden Files. Uh, next up is The Iron Druid Chronicles by Kevin Hearn. Uh, it is a nine-book series uh, that if you took Harry Dresden, you made him immortal, you turned him into a druid, uh, made him kind of crunchy, and had him just interact with every pantheon of gods that you could think of, you've got the Iron Druid Chronicles. Um, there is a talking dog. Uh, there is an assistant. There are magical swords. Uh, he gains an apprentice at some point, which is a red-haired Irish lass. Um, he hangs out with the Morrigan. It is a fantastic book series. It was also my first encounter with the uh, Celtic pantheon. Okay. Uh, next up is a it is both a genre of novels and a book series. It's The Land by Alaren Kong. Uh, the Land is in a relatively new books uh, book genre called lit RPG. Uh, for those of you playing the Japanese media game, uh, it's basically the Western version of Isekai. Uh, the The Land is about uh, pulling people from our world into a fantasy world with myth and magic and seeing how they do. Uh, so it's a, a really great, um, it's kind of a, I, it's kind of a fluff series, but it's a really well done fluff series and it's really easy to read. So I recommend it. Uh, all right. And then we're going to get into manga and light novels. I've definitely recommended a bunch of shit in this category before. So I'm going to blaze through them. Uh, first up is the ancient Magus's bride, Really great. Um, it deals with the Fae and, and deals with 
some Celtic and, and, and other kinds of mythologies in there. Um, really well done. Really great story. Very sad. Um, then we've got uh, some some isekai stuff. Bofuri. I don't want to get hurt, so I'll max up my defense. Uh, and didn't I say to make my abilities average in the next life? Both are really great. Uh, both are all about kick-ass girls playing some sort of video game or being in a fantasy world. Uh, Pandora Hearts is a... Uh, it's it's like a Victorian kind of gothic-style anime, almost towards horror side of things, but everything is deeply, deeply inspired by Alice in Wonderland, which is my favorite part of it. Uh, highly recommend it. Demons making contracts with humans, ancient families with dark secrets. Oh my god. Uh, I, an isekai from uh, South Korea, which means that really awesome things happen with it. Uh, there's one called Solo Leveling. I definitely recommend it. There is uh, a manga series that goes with it, and the manga is full color because Korea does whatever the fuck it wants and it does it really well. And then the last one, I mean, everyone who's done anything in manga or anime in the last few years uh, has heard of this. It's called Sword Art Online. Go check it out. It's great. I've heard of that one. Probably. I watched a few episodes with Dave. It's very good. My favorite arc is everyone's least favorite arc, so keeping up with the hipster I mean, style, but that's right? like, that's a Tuesday, though. <laughs> it is. It's just Tuesday shit. Uh, and that is the end uh, of I'm a little disappointed. Well, I'm a little disappointed you don't have Haruhi Suzumiya on your light novels list. I do have I have them all it. upstairs. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, I just have one of each topic just to run through because I know we're way over time. What actually started this whole argument mm-hmm. was a game I'm currently playing. And I've come to a revelation on it, DJ, and I near, need you to hear me out. Uh-huh. Because this is going to sound really hipster. Uh-huh. So I'm stroking my non-existent uh, permed mutton chops right now, okay? Mm-hmm. So Far Cry 5. It's a terrible DJ, game. DJ hates it. Yeah. I'm maybe 10 hours in. Uh, I would say at this point it's decent. I wouldn't say it's good. I wouldn't say it's bad. It's decent. It's certainly better than Dying Light 2 has been so far. Don't buy that game. Uh, unless you want to just play a never-ending tutorial in a very linear point-to-point game that claims to be open world. Uh, but I think I've come to a revelation on Far Cry 5. Yeah. Have you ever, especially the book, but have you ever read the book or seen the movie American Psycho? No. Okay, don't. You'll hate them. Yeah, I know. But, I'm but the, point I'm, them. the point I'm getting at with the book is, the book especially... It's actually one of the most brilliant pieces of satire ever written. The problem is you either need a total and complete encyclopedic knowledge of the 1980s, a to have lived through them, an annotated copy of the book, or preferably all three. And then and only then will you get most of the jokes in the book. <laughs> I think it's kind of the same way with Far Cry so far. You need to have an insane knowledge of cults to kind of get what they're playing at. Otherwise, it just comes off as murder porn. I mean, 
you can you can still be clever about referencing the history of cults and also make a murder porn game. Can well, be yeah, it can. But I, I think that's that's where part of the disconnect is because like the first couple times I remember, well, I saw the movie before I read the book American Psycho, and I was like, what the fuck. And then, like, when somebody sits down and explains everything to you, it's like, oh, that makes sense. I get that. And then when you rewatch it, you're like, oh, okay. Once the shock wears off. Yeah. So so that's Far Cry 5. But okay. Well, one video game, one board game, one book. We'll just go through very quickly. For the video game, uh, it's actually an indie game. Believe it or not, I play a couple. It's a card-based indie game. Uh, Ironclad Tactics. Have we ever talked about this game? No. It's for uh, PlayStation. It's for your cell phone, weirdly enough. It's for Steam, Windows, the whole nine yards. Uh, and it takes place in an alternate history version of the Civil War. Alternate history in that, in addition to bone-accurate uh, units and weapons, you also have mechs, or the Ironclads, as they're called. And it is a collectible card game. Of course it is. And you build factions based off of the Union, the Confederacy, based off of a revived uh, Native American, uh, like United Native American Front. Uh, there is like a sciency, mad scientist faction. It's very fun. It's very cheap. I think it's only like 10 bucks on the PlayStation Store. It's a great game. It can get frustrating later on. Some of the later levels are really fucking hard. Uh, but it's a really fun game. So that's... That's my video game recommendation. Nice. For board games, did you know there's a portal board game? I do. Yes, the uncooperative cake acquisition game. Uh, I love this game. My wife hates it. <laughs> um, Why did she hate it? Because she never wins. And she just thinks portal's stupid. She never she never really understood the games. Um, she never understood my obsession with the games. And so she doesn't much care for the board game. Uh, but the whole point is you attempt to get cake and whoever has the most cake when one team is wiped out wins. So it doesn't matter if you lose all your people. If you lose all your people, but you have the most cake, you still win. So suicide is actually a viable strategy Jeez. in Portal. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a fun game like that. And uh, then for books, just because it's been in the news, uh, I'm going to go with Mouse. It's a graphic novel, comic book about the Holocaust. Uh, but really, you should just read a band book in general. Read Mouse, read To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, read The Anarchist's Cookbook. You know, uh, read, read any book that's banned. Educate yourself. So I think that's it, buddy. I think that's season 15. Or season, season 4, rather, episode 15. Yeah. Oh, it's so sad. It is so sad. Uh, but we get to write trailers, which we like because we could be silly. It is a lot of fun. They're terrible, but they're so much fun to do. <laughs> See, that's why it's okay, folks. We know the trailers are awful. Yeah. <clears throat> Don't add us. We know that they're terrible. They're just there <laughs> to remind you you're coming back. Yes. And they're to remind you that maybe what we do on a normal basis isn't so bad. It's true, because we don't plan what we do on a normal basis, and we do the trailers. Yes. <laughs> oh. All right, take us out. 
Well, we, of course, want to thank everybody for listening today. Thank you for sticking with us for four seasons now. Jeez. Um, <laughs> I can't believe it. Uh, if you like what you're listening to, if you like what you've heard, if you like any of the, geez, 60 episodes and bajillion trailers and a couple of specials nope. that we've done. I figured it out, actually, for this. Yeah? Because I had a feeling this would come up. Uh, counting this, this will be the 76th bit of content we've released. Uh, of those, awesome. we we have, by my count, three specials, uh, ten trailers, and there'll be 63 full-length episodes. Oh, damn. Where did the extra three full-length episodes come in? Uh, well, we did sort of, we had like the toasts kind of, and, uh, I don't remember how it all comes, came out, but we basically, we ended up with, with a couple extras and that's okay though. I mean, you, I guess you could technically classify them as, as specials, maybe 60, 10 and six, maybe we could go with that. Yeah. I think that makes more sense. All right. 60, 10 and six. There you go. Uh, but if you like what you've listened to, uh, please feel free to pre-save us on Spotify. Get that get that notification every uh, Friday morning when we release. Uh, we release bright and early at, uh, at 8 a.m., bright and early for me at least. Um, and uh, we'll make sure to keep dropping into the feed with with trailers and sneak peeks. And, you know, maybe we'll do a drink review here and there. Um Give us that rating on iTunes if you like it. You know, we'll get a couple of five-star reviews out there. Always looking for more to bump us up in those charts. Uh, we are online. You can keep in touch with us during the break. Uh, we are on Facebook and Instagram at The Wit and Whiskey Cast. We've got a website, www.thewitandwhiskeycast.com. Uh, we also have an email address, thewitandwhiskeycast at gmail.com. There's no H in wit and an E in whiskey, despite what yeah. we're going to tell you. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, I would ask what our topic is next week, but next week's going to be a trailer. So, uh, yeah, of course, we want to uh, thank Nuno Henry Silva for our intro and outro music. Uh, we're going to make sure to send you to a SoundCloud one last time for this season. Uh, you know, he's got some great music out there. He's got an, uh, two books out now. Uh, he's, he's just out there crushing it all day, every day. Uh, so yeah, make sure you go check out his stuff, and we'll uh, we'll definitely be back. We'll we'll be back. I, I have to. You reminded me when when you you did our usual tagline there. I, I have a quick funny anecdote. Oh. Oh, I was at this uh, whiskey tasting, this whiskey school, whatever you want to call it, and I was plugging the podcast. And so a few of the servers and everything are like, you know, are you guys on Spotify? Are you on iTunes? I'm like, ah. I'm fucking everything. DJ's a fucking madman. Because ah. <laughs> I was like 10 glasses deep by that point, right? Yeah. And so they're looking it up, and one of the bartenders just goes, Oh, I found it. There's no H in wit. And I lost my <laughs> shit. And no one understood what was funny except for me. <laughs> That's amazing. There's no H in wit. <laughs> And I damn near blew a lung out. I was laughing so hard. And everyone's like, yeah, I think he's cut off. That wasn't really very funny. And I'm like, no, you don't listen to the show, man. (laughs) Well, for one last time in season four, there is no H and wit. And cheers. Salute.